Several Issues Etc. regular guests are candidates for leadership positions in the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Every LCMS congregation has received nomination forms for the President and Vice Presidents of Synod. Please encourage your pastor and congregational leaders to fill out and return these nomination forms before February 28th of 2023. Learn more at issuesetc.org slash 2023 nominations. Issuesetc.org slash 2023 nominations. The Epiphany Hymn to Jordan Came the Christ Our Lord. This coming Sunday, the church observes the baptism of Jesus, and maybe the first question that needs to be answered is John the Baptist's question. What are you doing here? Why do you come to me for baptism when it should be the other way around? And Jesus has a very good answer. Welcome back to Issues Etc., coming to you live from the studios of Lutheran Public Radio in Collinsville, Illinois. I'm Todd Wilkin. Thanks for tuning us in. We'll be looking forward to Sunday morning, according to the one-year lectionary, The Baptism of Our Lord. Pastor Peter Bender joins us. He's pastor of Peace Lutheran Church in Sussex, Wisconsin, and director of the Concordia Catechetical Academy. Peter, welcome back. Good to be with you, Todd. What is the difference between Jesus' baptism and our baptism? Well, in a certain sense, there's absolutely no difference at all. And in another sense, there's every difference. It's in Jesus' baptism that we come to understand the true nature of our baptism into Christ. So the two come together there. I remember early on in the ministry, celebrating the baptism of our Lord this first Sunday after the Epiphany, and how little attention there was given by commentators and others to the connection of Jesus' baptism with our baptism. And I mean, rightly so, the baptism of our Lord was spoken of as Jesus being anointed by the Holy Spirit, beginning his public ministry, proclaimed to be Messiah, son of David, and so forth. But what exactly theologically is the significance of his baptism with respect to our baptism. And in a lot of ways, my work in catechesis has been a pursuit of that question. And I am grateful that LW and now also LSB has the wonderful hymn of Martin Luther to Jordan came the Christ our Lord. And he links the two together. You know, to Jordan came the Christ our Lord to do his father's pleasure. Baptized by John, the father's word was given us to treasure. This heavenly washing now shall be a cleansing from transgression, and by his blood and agony release from death's oppression, a new life now awaits us. So that's the first stanza of his hymn. And if you look at all seven stanzas, you really see how Luther goes back and forth, this interplay between the baptism of our Lord and our baptism into Christ. And so I think in this respect also, Todd, the questions and answers in the small catechism under the sacrament of holy baptism, have much to teach us about our baptism into Christ and about the baptism of our Lord. So if you think about those questions, what is baptism? 
And then think about them in terms of Jesus' baptism. And the Catechism says, it is not just plain water, but it is the water included in God's command and combined with God's word. Certainly God's command and his word were there at the Jordan River when Jesus was baptized. And then what benefits does baptism give? It works forgiveness of sins, rescues from death and the devil, and gives eternal salvation to all who believe this as the words and promises of God declare. And I've always been intrigued by that opening sentence in the benefits of baptism in the catechism. It works forgiveness of sins. That's transactional kind of language. It could have said it gives forgiveness, it offers forgiveness, but no, it says it works forgiveness. So we need to see that our baptism has validity because in his baptism, Jesus became the sin bearer. And I think that's an overarching theme in the celebration of the baptism of our Lord. The sin of the world was imputed to him so that in our baptism for Jesus' sake, who died for us as the Lamb of God, his forgiveness, his righteousness, the righteousness of his death might be imputed to us. And so Jesus' baptism in the Jordan River that begins his earthly ministry is parallel to our baptism into Christ, which begins our earthly pilgrimage. He takes our sin upon himself at his baptism. And from that day forward, he is marching to the cross whereby he dies for us. And then we receive from him in our baptism his righteousness, that vicarious satisfaction that covers our sin. And this is what Luther talks about elsewhere as the blessed or the happy exchange. Our sin is laid upon Jesus. His righteousness is imputed to us. And that's why even the likes of John the Baptist, who certainly was a great theologian. He is the preeminent prophet closing out the Old Testament and preparing the way for the Lord's coming. But even he, in the gospel reading for the day, is bamboozled. He's baffled. I have need to be baptized by you. And are you coming to me, he says to Jesus. And Jesus says, permit it to be so now to fulfill all righteousness. And in the gospel of John, we learn there that Immediately following Jesus' baptism, then John understood. So Jesus' baptism was revelatory to him, this son of Zechariah the priest from the tribe of Levi. It is almost like this grand epiphany for John. When Jesus comes up out of the water, then he gets it. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, recorded there in John 1.29. So he understands finally, Jesus didn't come to baptism to have his sins washed away. Jesus came to baptism to have the sin of the world imputed to him like the scapegoat in the Old Testament that had the sins of the congregation imputed to that goat, and then it was driven out into the wilderness. And so we find that in Matthew's narrative Immediately after Jesus' baptism, chapter 4 begins with, he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. So you see that Matthew and the other evangelists do this in other occasions as well. They don't simply proclaim a promise and then say the promise is fulfilled. They actually paint pictures. And so Jesus coming up out of the water of his baptism is designated the Lamb of God, and then he's driven, this picture of him being driven out into the wilderness, taking our sins away, as it were. So I think the small catechism, everything that has to do with baptism there, and in the name of the triune God, 
And Luther's great hymn to Jordan came the Christ our Lord really helps inform us on the connection between our baptism and the baptism of our Lord. How does the collect for this day read? Father in heaven, at the baptism of Jesus in the Jordan River, you proclaimed him your beloved son and anointed him with the Holy Spirit. Make all who are baptized in his name faithful in their calling as your children and inheritors with him of everlasting life. Through the same Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. So the collect for the day sets forth the theme that it is in Jesus' baptism that we come to understand more clearly the significance of our own baptism. And look at the wonderful parallels that I just mentioned, too. Jesus' baptism begins his ministry and his sojourn to the cross. Our baptism begins our pilgrimage as baptized Christians united to his death and resurrection. Notice in the Collect, there's a triune God connection. You know, we're praying to the Father concerning being baptized in the name of his beloved Son, whereby we are then anointed with the Holy Spirit. So you've got the Trinitarian name and activity of the triune God in our baptism referred to here. The petition, make all who are baptized in his name faithful in their calling. And that will be picked up on in the epistle for the day in 1 Corinthians, where none of us were wise or noble or had any great standing until we were called. It's the call of the gospel to faith in Christ given us in our baptism that makes us children of God and inheritors with Christ of everlasting life. So the proclamation of the Father's word of divine approval is here highlighted in the collect, and it's the Father's word of divine approval for Jesus' sake that is given to us in our baptism. And then, of course, the petition for the anointing of the Holy Spirit that we might be faithful in our calling. The intro, it comes from Psalm 89, the first and several other verses. Read that for us, if you would. Behold, the Lord, the ruler has come, and the kingdom and the power and the glory are in his hand. I will sing of the steadfast love of the Lord forever. With my mouth I will make known your faithfulness to all generations. He shall cry to me, You are my Father, my God, and the rock of my salvation. And I will make him the firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth. My steadfast love I will keep for him forever, and my covenant will stand firm for him. Glory be to the Father. This lovely intro for the baptism of our Lord is about Jesus. It proclaims Jesus as the Lord, the ruler, Messiah, King. All power and all glory are in his hand. Jesus, according to the introit, is the preeminent one who sings of the steadfast love of the Lord. So you can think about Jesus singing about the Father's love. And in Jesus' preaching and in his faithful ministry, he makes known the faithfulness of the Lord to all generations. So the intro, it really does set up Jesus as the Messiah, and then Jesus, whose ministry brings forgiveness, life, comfort to those who receive it. The intro proclaims Jesus as the one who confesses, you are my father, 
my God and the rock of my salvation. And Todd, I'd like to link that with the words of the Father to Jesus at his baptism. And we have similar words at the end of the Epiphany season at the Transfiguration, you are my beloved son. So when in the intro for the day, quoting the Psalm 89, those words are to find their way into Jesus' mouth, where he's saying, you are my father, my God, the rock of my salvation. And so what that really confesses is Jesus' absolute steadfast reliance upon his father who spoke the word to him, you are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. So you can think about it this way. Throughout his ministry and as his suffering intensifies on the road to Calvary, when he is that butchered, nailed to the cross as the Lamb of God, through all of that, Jesus' faith was steadfast in that word of the Father given to him at his baptism. You are my beloved son. No matter how much wrath he's experiencing, no matter how much suffering, no matter how much anguish of his soul, you are my beloved son sustains him. And then he confesses that in this intro, you are my father, my God, and the rock of my salvation. And Jesus never wavers in that faith. The Father has made Jesus the firstborn from eternity. That's proclaimed in this intro. The highest of the kings of the earth. And the Father will keep his steadfast love for his Son forever. Again, this is what Jesus believes as he marches to the cross. And it is this steadfast love of the Father in that word of Jesus, this is my beloved Son, that is the strength of Jesus' faith and confidence in the Father as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Pastor Peter Bender is our guest. We're looking forward to Sunday morning, according to the one-year lectionary, The Baptism of Our Lord. Up next, the Alleluia verse from Psalm 143, and then the Gospel. Several issues, etc. regular guests are candidates for leadership positions in the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Every LCMS congregation has received nomination forms for the president and vice presidents of Synod. Please encourage your pastor and congregational leaders to fill out and return these nomination forms before February 28th of 2023. Learn more at issuesetc.org 2023 nominations. issuesetc.org 2023 nominations. For nearly 140 years, the Lutheran Witness has taught the faith, defended it against error, and shown forth the great treasures of the Lutheran Church and biblical doctrine. We're continuing this legacy by publishing issues and articles that help you see the world from a Lutheran perspective and that teach biblical doctrine and show forth the treasures of God's Word. Visit our website to learn more and how to subscribe, witness.lcms.org. The Lutheran Witness, helping you interpret the world from a Lutheran perspective. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. You're listening to Issues Etc. St. Mark Lutheran Church in Waco, Texas is proud to support Issues Etc. Join us for worship and Bible study. If you're in Waco for business, college, traveling through the city, looking for a great place to retire, or searching for a church to receive Jesus' love and forgiveness, then visit St. Mark a century-old, Christ-centered Lutheran congregation in the heart of Waco, very near the silos. The Lord Jesus Christ be with you always. Visit us at stmarkwaco.com. Not everyone is comfortable with new technology. 
Dial-A Podcast gives all generations of your congregation an easy way to hear your sermons or even devotionals and Bible studies. Once you've completed a simple one-time setup, we take care of the rest. All your congregants have to do is dial the number from any phone to listen to your latest podcast, all at no additional cost to them. Dial-A Podcast. Extend the reach of your sermons. Get started at dialapodcast.com now. Welcome back. I'm Todd Wilkin. We're looking forward to Sunday morning, according to the one-year lectionary with Pastor Peter Bender of the Concordia Catechetical Academy. Looking forward to the baptism of our Lord. So, Peter, the Alleluia verse is Psalm 143, the 10th verse. Alleluia, teach me to do your will, for you are my God. Let your good spirit lead me on level ground. So notice how, just like the intro at those words, should find their way into Jesus' mouth. Teach me to do your will, he says, as the beloved son of the Father. You are my God. Let your good spirit lead me. The verse applies to Jesus. He prays to do the Father's will. He prays that the Father's good spirit, the Holy Spirit, would lead him on level ground. And then we, through our baptism into Christ, pray the same thing for Jesus' sake. And in the strength and promise of our baptism, we are bold to pray, teach me to do your will. You are my God. Let your good spirit lead me on level ground. So the two come together. You know, it is because of Jesus' faithfulness unto death, uh, his resolute will to do the Father's will. And he is anointed there by the Holy Spirit at his baptism to do this. We are bold and privileged in our baptism to take up that same prayer. So it's this wonderful interplay between Jesus' baptism and what's going on there and our baptism. And, and we could talk here about the mystical union between Christ and his baptized faithful, where all that he is becomes ours, all that we are become his. And we are bold to stand in the shoes of Christ, so to speak, under the status of being the beloved sons of God through the Son of God into whom we are baptized, that we are bold to make our prayers and to stand before God in his righteousness, the righteousness of Christ, without any fear whatsoever. We come to the gospel. It's Matthew chapter 3, beginning at verse 13, the account of Jesus' baptism. Read it for us and then take us through it. Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were open to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. This is the Gospel of the Lord. So I think the first question that comes to our mind is, why did John the Baptist try to refuse to baptize Jesus? And I think this, Todd, goes to the very beginning of our discussion together, you know, what the connection between our baptism and Jesus' baptism. We we just don't get it. And, and John the Baptist didn't get it, so we shouldn't feel too bad if it takes us a moment to understand it. 
he is preaching, if you look at Matthew chapter 3, John is preaching repentance and a baptism for the remission of sins. And it says there in the earlier verses that people from Jerusalem and Judea and all around the Jordan came out to him to be baptized, confessing their sins. Clearly, the promise of forgiveness was offered by John in his preparatory baptism. So you can understand his rational thinking. I am baptizing sinners. Now here comes Jesus. I need to be baptized by you. You're the sinless one. I'm the sinner, and yet you're coming to me. And Jesus says, permit it to be so, to fulfill all righteousness. And so when he is baptized, then by God's grace and spirit, John confesses, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The phrase to fulfill all righteousness refers to the scripture's teaching concerning our justification. And we have several references to God's righteousness in the Gospel of Matthew. Our righteousness must be greater than the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees. We are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Uh, To be persecuted for righteousness' sake is to be persecuted for Jesus' sake. So those references to righteousness in Matthew's Gospel highlight especially our justification that the sin of the world is imputed to Christ. Christ's righteousness, the vicarious satisfaction of his death on our behalf, is imputed to us. I think it's interesting, you know, Jesus tells John the Baptist, permit it, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. That doesn't mean that John the Baptist is a co-redeemer, but Jesus does not baptize himself. He is baptized. John the Baptist becomes the instrument of his baptism. None of us baptized ourselves. We were baptized by our pastor. And so it follows here, Jesus is baptized. And in so doing, the Father speaks, the Spirit anoints him. He's in the water and the sin of the world is imputed to him. We are baptized into Christ's death and resurrection. His righteousness is imputed to us. So remember what we talked about from the catechism. Baptism's benefit, it works forgiveness of sins. For Jesus' sake, this is the transactional language of what we might call dogmatically subjective justification. We look at the cross, Jesus dies objectively upon the cross for all of humanity. But the objective justifying work for all humanity upon the cross is then applied subjectively to each one of us in our baptism. That's why I like to refer to this as a great illustration of, and even more than that, the reality of the blessed exchange, where the sin of the world is imputed to Jesus, and then his righteousness is imputed to us, and in our baptism, it is subjectively applied to us. So you can you can look at our baptism into Christ as the moment when we, each one of us, were personally justified, declared righteous. Or, to use the language of the gospel, we were declared the beloved Son of the Father through the Son of the Father, who was the willing sacrifice, the sin-bearer, the faithful servant for each one of us, according to the Father's will. I think, Todd, it's really important, you know, at the end of Matthew's gospel, 
And this is quoted in the Catechism as well. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. There you have the divine formula of the Trinitarian name. That's the word of God that's joined to the water in baptism according to Christ's own command. But it's at the beginning of Matthew's gospel, the great baptism of our Lord, where we see the miraculous character of what is going on in baptism. I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Here at Jesus' baptism, it is God the Father who speaks from heaven. The heavens are rent open on account of what Jesus would do upon the cross, and the Father speaks words of divine approval. That's the reality of our baptism. For Jesus' sake, we are declared, even though we're men or women or children or adults or Jew or Gentile or slave or free, we are all declared beloved sons. You know, you are all sons of God, the Greek, all sons of God in our baptism because it is the status of Christ's sonship that becomes ours. And who's in the water? The son. He is the content of the water of our baptism. And then the Holy Spirit descends from the Father through the Son upon us in the symbol of a dove, that white dove, the symbol of peace and of righteousness and of purity. So isn't it wonderful that at the baptism of Jesus at the beginning of Matthew's gospel, you see the miraculous working of the triune God at his baptism, and we should understand the parallel working of the triune God in our baptism where we are joined to Christ. So immediately following Jesus' baptism, then, he's driven out into the wilderness like that scapegoat that he has become. Wonderful gospel. There's so much that you can take from this gospel as you traverse all of scripture and biblical theology. It is the gospel, the good news of Jesus' death for our sins enacted here in the waters of holy baptism as he's set on the course to the cross for us as the sin bearer. Pastor Peter Bender is our guest. We're looking forward to Sunday morning according to the the one-year lectionary, the baptism of our Lord. We will come to the Old Testament reading in Joshua chapter 3 next. If you appreciate Issues Etc., our 24-7 music and talk stations, and our daily verse-by-verse Bible study, The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, please include a bequest in your will or trust for these worldwide media resources. Bequests aren't subject to federal tax or capital gains taxes. Ensure your children, grandchildren, and great-grandchildren the opportunity to listen by including a bequest in your will or trust for Issues Etc., Lutheran Public Radio, and the word of the Lord endures forever. Does this sound like your church budget process at the end of the year? You get last year's budget and go through with a committee line by line, maybe what we should spend next year. Maybe you have a prayer. But where's the word of God in this process? When do the people hear what the small catechism says about giving and why we do it? Contact us at LCMS Stewardship so that we can help you fix this process, put the word of God first, and put your congregation on a good fitting. lcms.org slash stewardship. A mobile Lutheran Bible study. You're listening to Issues Etc. You wish your classical school could do more for struggling learners? Uncertain where to begin? The Memoria Press Schools Division includes Cheryl Swope, author of Simply Classical, a beautiful education for any child. The school's division will happily assist your school. Memoria Press offers an entire line of special needs resources for teaching math, reading, spelling, and more. 
Contact schools at memoriapress.com or order directly from simplyclassical.com with coupon code LPR23. Life Week 2023 with Lutherans for Life is coming soon, and you're personally invited to join in celebrating that you are blessed for life. From Sunday, January 15th through Saturday, January 21st, 2023, go to lutheransforlife.org for more information and for Zoom links. Lutherans for Life, equipping Lutherans and their neighbors to be gospel-motivated voices for life. lutheransforlife.org, lutheransforlife.org. Pastor Peter Bender is our guest as we look forward to Sunday morning, according to the one-year lectionary, The Baptism of Our Lord. He's pastor of Peace Lutheran Church in Sussex, Wisconsin, and director of the Concordia Catechetical Academy. We come now to the Old Testament reading from Joshua chapter 3. How does it read? Yeah, uh, Joshua chapter 3 is the preferred reading. I guess you might say there's an alternate reading also from Isaiah that we can take a look at. But the Joshua reading highlights the crossing over the Jordan River of the children of Israel after their 40 years of sojourning in the wilderness into the promised land. So they came to the Jordan and Joshua and all the people of Israel and lodged there before they passed over. At the end of three days, the officers went through the camp and commanded the people, as soon as you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God, being carried by the Levitical priests, then you shall set out from your place and follow it. Then the Lord said to Joshua, Today I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel, that they may know that as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. And as for you, command the priests who bear the Ark of the Covenant, when you come to the brink of the waters of the Jordan, you shall stand still in the Jordan. And when the soles of the feet of the priests bearing the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth shall rest in the waters of the Jordan. The waters of the Jordan shall be cut off from flowing. And the waters coming down from above shall stand in one heap. So when the people set out from their tents to pass over the Jordan with the priests bearing the ark of the covenant before the people, and as soon as those bearing the ark had come as far as the Jordan, and the feet of the priests bearing the ark were dipped in the brink of the water, now the Jordan overflows all its banks throughout the time of harvest, the waters coming down from above stood and rose up in a heap very far away at Adam, the city that is beside Zarathon. And those flowing down toward the Sea of Arabah, the Salt Sea, were completely cut off. And the people passed over opposite Jericho. Now the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firmly on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan. And all Israel was passing over on dry ground until all the nation finished passing over the Jordan. This is the word of the Lord. Todd, among other things, this is a great Old Testament reading to highlight the general theme that all of the scriptures are about Christ. And so Joshua, his very name, means the Lord is salvation. It's the same meaning as Jesus in the New Testament. 
And notice what the promise is here to Joshua. As I was with Moses, I will be with you. So Moses' ministry, where he could not lead them into the promised land, gives way to the ministry of Joshua, whose name means the Lord is salvation. He's the one who leads us into the promised land. Jesus is the one greater than John the Baptist. Jesus is the one who leads us into the promised land. And then the promise of the Lord's presence, I will be with you, made to Joshua. We can think of the promise associated with baptism at the end of Matthew's gospel. Lo, I am with you always to the end of the age. And notice the end of three days. What a wonderful expression. Anytime we see that in the scriptures, we should immediately think of resurrection, trinity, and our baptism. The end of three days points to the victory and culmination of our baptismal faith in the resurrection into the promised land of everlasting life with God. The crossing through the water of the Red Sea, corresponding to baptism, and the crossing through the water of the Jordan, after that 40 years of wilderness wandering, corresponding to the consummation of our baptism. Many scholars have pointed out, pastors and theologians, that that 40 years of wilderness wandering typifies, you know, the the pilgrimage that we are on this earth. You know, I'm but a stranger here. Heaven is my home. Baptism begins that pilgrimage, that sojourn, and then it culminates in the resurrection. You think about Jesus. His baptism began his public ministry. It culminated in his death and resurrection. So this gives us a picture of the baptismal life, a pilgrimage wherein the Lord never leaves us, or forsakes us, and a pilgrimage which culminates in the eternal glory of the resurrection. So we begin that pilgrimage, as it were, when we are baptized in the Red Sea, and then that pilgrimage comes to fruition as we pass through the waters of the Jordan to the Promised Land. Now here's the strong connection with the baptism of our Lord. The Ark of the Covenant, which the priests carried into the Jordan, the Ark of the Covenant was the location of the Lord's saving presence. We noted this in our discussion of John 1 in the Christmas Day Gospel. The Word became flesh and tabernacled among us. The true tabernacle of God's saving presence on earth is the flesh and blood of Jesus. So the Ark of the Covenant was the location in the Old Testament of the Lord's saving presence. And he was the content, the content, and the source of Old Testament salvation. Just as Christ, who is the fulfillment of that Old Testament Ark of the Covenant, Christ is the content and the source of salvation in our baptism. Content and source. You know, when the Apostle Peter says, baptism now saves you, 1 Peter chapter 3.15, baptism now saves you. Baptism saves because baptism's content is Christ, his death and resurrection. So to say baptism saves is the same thing as saying Christ saves. So look at the parallel. The ark and Jesus stood in the midst of the water, yet paradoxically on dry ground. I'm just reminded of Luther's great Christmas hymn, What Harm Can Sin and Death Then Do? The true God now abides with you. Let hell and Satan rage and chafe. Christ is your brother. You are safe. See, we in him and he in us. That's what the baptism of our Lord 
and our baptism means. And so here you see the picture of the Ark of the Covenant in the Old Testament entering into the Jordan. How much greater than the true Ark of the Covenant, the tabernacle of the Son of God in human flesh, who is the very content of the water of holy baptism, to take our sin and to give us his righteousness. You said there was an alternate reading, Isaiah 42, 1 through 7. What is that? Yes, this Isaiah 42, 1 through 7, wonderful Old Testament alternate reading. And this language is picked up, even if you went to the three-year lectionary, you would find a lot of this language from Isaiah 42. And it especially highlights Jesus as being the anointed servant, anointed with the Holy Spirit. So it's Isaiah 42, 1 through 7. Behold my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice, think righteousness and what Jesus said at his baptism to John. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. Again, hear righteousness. He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth. Again, righteousness. And coastlands wait for his law. Thus says God the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk in it. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. Now, the pronouns here, you, in this section are all singular pronouns, and they refer to the Father's call of his Son. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations, to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison, those who sit in darkness. This is the word of the Lord. So, Todd, I think in this alternate uh, Old Testament reading, and depending on the year, I go back and forth. Sometimes I read the Joshua reading. Sometimes I read this Isaiah reading. Isaiah foretells the faithful ministry of Jesus that began at his baptism. And his faithful ministry, of course, is bound up with what he did as the sin bearer. But then it also includes what he proclaimed. So the word of the gospel is rooted in the facts of his incarnation and then suffering death and resurrection, whereby he is the righteous one who makes atonement for sin. So Isaiah really highlights that ministry of comfort that Jesus inaugurated with his baptism. Isaiah foretells the anointing of Jesus by the Holy Spirit, and that's what Christ means, Christos or Messiah, the anointed one, and he is anointed son of David by the Holy Spirit to begin the work of salvation for us. Isaiah highlights Christ's work of justice or righteousness. When I read it, I wanted you to, to see that, you know, I have called you in righteousness and to work righteousness, to work justice, and he does that in his death upon the cross. As I said, Isaiah highlights the comfort that Jesus' ministry inaugurates. So take us into the gradual. The gradual is from Psalm 72, 
18 through 19. And I think this entire Sunday of the baptism of our Lord is in many ways one of many Sundays or festivals in the church year that highlights salvation by God's grace alone, by Christ's work and not by our works. So it reads, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who alone does wondrous things. Blessed be his glorious name forever. May the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen. So what does it proclaim? It proclaims that salvation is of the Lord alone. Thanks be to God. It's dependent upon him, not upon me. Jesus' name is glorious forever. And talking about that second Old Testament reading from Isaiah, by the proclamation of the gospel, the whole earth is filled with his glory, the glory of his cross, the glory of his grace and mercy. And then it concludes, Amen, Amen. Let it be done according to your word. Pastor Peter Bender is our guest. We're looking forward to Sunday morning, according to the one-year lectionary, The Baptism of Our Lord. On the other side, the epistle reading is from 1 Corinthians, where the apostle says, Consider your calling, brother." Would you like to spend more time in God's Word? Does your tight schedule prevent you from sitting down with your Bible? Do you sometimes find the Bible confusing? Join me, Pastor Will Whedon, for The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, a daily 15-minute verse-by-verse Bible study with the church, past and present. You can listen anytime, anywhere, on your commute, at the gym, or while doing housework. Learn more at thewordendures.org or your favorite podcast provider, The Word of the Lord Endures Forever. The Issues Etc. Book of the Month for January would make a great gift for your pastor. It's the New Concordia Commentary on John, chapter 7, verse 2, to chapter 12, verse 50. This latest Concordia Commentary is written by Issues Etc. regular guest, Dr. Bill Weinrich. Learn more about our January Book of the Month at issuesetc.org or by calling Concordia Publishing House 1-800-325-3040. The New Concordia Commentary on John 7, 2 to 1250. Christ-centered, cross-focused, you're listening to Issues Etc. The Lutheran Church Missouri Synod cares deeply for those who protect our nation. Are you or a loved one currently serving? Ministry to the Armed Forces would like to help. We provide devotional literature to encourage faith. Send your mailing address to lcmschaps at lcms.org or call us at 314-996-1337. Those in uniform are comforted with Psalm 28. The Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusts in Him and He helps me. It's finally Christmas, the family is home, the tree is all dressed with Christmonds alone. It's time to reflect on what God has done by giving the gift, Christ Jesus, his son. Born of Mary the Virgin to take all our sin by granting us salvation and a new life in him. With angels, shepherds and kings from afar, we find the Christ child by Bethlehem's star. He brought peace to the earth from the Father above and reconciled us with his heavenly love. A very blessed Christmas from Ad Crucem. The baptism of our Lord is our topic. Pastor Peter Bender is our guest. I'm Todd Wilkin. You're connected to issues, etc. Ad Crucem's sale on church banners ends this Friday, January the 6th. You can take advantage of savings on Lent, Easter, Advent, Christmas, and other church banners 
at adcrucem.com. Ad Crucem's church banners allow you to decorate your sanctuary on budget without compromising the confession of the season or the festival. Adcrucem.com, A-D-C-R-U-C-E-M.com. Take us into the epistle, which is 1 Corinthians 1, beginning at verse 26. Some might think that this is a strange reading for the baptism of our Lord, but not if we understand the transactional character of Jesus' baptism. He comes not to have his sins forgiven, but to give us his forgiveness and to shower us with his righteousness and to take our sin upon himself. And it begins this way, 1 Corinthians 1, 26 through 31. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful, not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, You are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption, so that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Now, Todd, I'm reading from the English Standard Version, but I think a little bit of a a sharpening here would be in order. When it says at the beginning, not many of you were wise according to worldly standards, Literally in the Greek, it's according to the flesh. And the word sarx is used there, which is so often used by the Apostle Paul to highlight not only our humanity, but most especially our sinfulness. So not many of you were wise according to the flesh. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. And then also in verse 29, so that no human being, actually literally, so that no flesh might boast in the presence of God. Because we are fleshly, not simply human, but that our flesh is corrupted by sin, none of us can boast before God. And so that's the only thing we bring to our baptism, is our sinfulness, our flesh. What Jesus, the Son of God in human flesh, brings to baptism is his righteousness, the righteousness of having willingly, in love, taken our sin upon himself to give us in exchange his forgiveness and righteousness. You think about this sets up that entire section of 1 Corinthians where he talks about the foolishness of the cross. So our baptism into the foolishness of Christ's death upon the cross and the gospel of his righteousness is the strength of our calling as Christians. And that is what is bequeathed to us in our baptism. So it is our baptism then that gives us the ultimate self-worth before God. And that then becomes the strength of living our life as baptized Christians in this earthly pilgrimage. As the epistle proclaims, we're, we're baptized into Christ. Because of him, you are in Christ Jesus. And Christ is our wisdom, Paul says, our righteousness, our sanctification, and our redemption. So it's a way of saying that Christ is everything for us apart from whom we have no salvation, but in whom we then lack nothing. So our boast is in Christ. 
And we think of that great hymn on baptism, I am baptized into Christ. This is the confidence, oh Satan, deal with that. I am baptized into Christ. I belong to him. His righteousness covers my sin. I am a son of God through faith in Christ. And that's a wonderful way to accent the themes theologically of what's going on in Jesus' baptism and then its connection to our own baptism. Peter, can you say anything about the hymn of the day? Oh, this hymn, you know, I think I mentioned this at the outset. It was Luther's hymn on baptism that really got me started 30-some years ago in understanding the connection between our baptism. I cited verse 1 at the beginning. Look at verse 3 and 4. These truths, the truths of baptism, the truth of being made children of God and so forth, on Jordan's banks were shown by mighty word and wonder. The Father's voice from heaven came down, which we do well to ponder. This man is my beloved Son, in whom my heart has pleasure. Him you must hear, and him alone, and trust in fullest measure the word that he has spoken. So as Jesus trusted the word of the Father spoken at his baptism, we trust the word of the Father spoken at our baptism. No matter how dark our road becomes, we claim that word of God, that promise that we are the Father's beloved through Jesus. And so in stanza four, there in the Jordan, there stood the Son of God in love, his grace to us extending. The Holy Spirit, like a dove upon the scene descending, the triune God assuring us with promises compelling that in our baptism he will thus among us find a dwelling to comfort and sustain us. It's absolutely a fantastic hymn as it shows the deep connection between Jesus' baptism and ours. And the foolishness of the cross is, is there in the foolishness of baptism, right? Through water and the word, we are joined to the death and resurrection of Christ for eternal salvation. Are you kidding me? No, I'm not. That is the reality. And so stanza seven says, all that the mortal eye beholds, you know, when one looks at baptism, is water as we pour it. Before the eye of faith unfolds the power of Jesus' merit. For here it sees the crimson flood to all our ills bring healing, the wonders of his precious blood, the love of God revealing, assuring his own pardon. It's in that verse 7 that, you know, it's sort of like dawned on me. Yeah, just like John the Baptist, now I understand. The sin of the world is imputed to him. By the shedding of his blood as the Lamb of God, we have forgiveness and righteousness from God. Here it sees the crimson flood to all our ills bring healing. The eye of faith beholds the power of Jesus' merit in the waters of baptism. Marvelous hymn, and you can't go wrong if you interpret the gospel and the readings for this Sunday on the basis of Luther's great hymn or his teachings on baptism in the small and large catechism. How would you summarize this coming Sunday, the baptism of our Lord, in terms of law and gospel? Our malady uh, to which the law must be addressed. Four points here. Number one, we try to prevent Jesus from being our savior. It sounded really pious when John tried to prevent Jesus from being baptized. But finally, in the end, the call of the gospel calls us to yield any pretense that we can be our own savior, to allow Jesus to be that lamb of God, to allow him to be the one that takes all of our sin, bar none, upon himself. It's not that he is baptized simply for original sin, he dies for all sin. So we try to prevent Jesus from being our Savior, and that needs to be addressed with the law and the call to repentance. 
Number two, that the righteousness that saves us is a righteousness of our own doing. That's what we think, but it's not. That righteousness that saves us is not of our own doing, it's of Christ's. Number three, that the strength of our faith is in the act of believing rather than in the promise of our baptism, the promise of the gospel, the promise of Christ. And that's a temptation we all fall prey to, to focus on the strength of our believing, the act of our believing, as if it is some work of our own. And number four, another malady would be that baptism and its blessing is disconnected from Christ and his death upon the cross. I just don't think I can emphasize enough how baptism unites us inseparably in every way with everything that Jesus has done for us. When we don't believe that, or when we are tempted to distrust that or to wander from that, that's when we get into seeing this great separation or gulf between us as weak, sinful people and God, and it gives way to the idea that I've got to somehow bridge that gap. And of course, that gap can never be bridged by us. It can only be bridged by the beloved Son of the Father who became the Lamb of God for us. Under the heading of the unique gospel, since we're talking about baptism, I've got eight points, right? The eight is the eschatological number. So this just reiterates a lot of what we've already said, Todd, but number one, Christ is our righteousness. Let that sink in. Use the words of St. Paul, our wisdom, our righteousness, our sanctification, our justification. Christ is our righteousness. Number two, he is the Lamb of God to whom was imputed the sin of the world. Number three, as the Lamb of God, he's the scapegoat. He's the one that takes the blame. He bears our sin for us and then he carries it away. Number four, Holy baptism saves us because Christ Jesus, the righteous one, is the content of our baptism. In holy baptism, we are joined to Christ. We put on Christ. His death for sin becomes our death. His resurrection becomes our resurrection. His righteousness, the righteousness of his atoning sacrifice on our behalf becomes our righteousness. What inestimable comfort this is. Number five. The Father's word to Jesus in his baptism enabled him to be faithful unto death. The Father's word to us, for Jesus' sake in our baptism, enables us to be faithful unto death. So the all-powerful word of the gospel to keep and preserve us in the true faith and in the Christian life against the weaknesses of our own flesh, the temptations of the evil one, the assaults of Satan, and so forth. The Father's word to us in our baptism enables us to be faithful. Number six, Jesus was anointed with the Holy Spirit in his baptism, enabling him to be faithful in his calling before the Father. The Father pours out his Holy Spirit upon us through Jesus Christ our Savior in our baptism, enabling us to be faithful in our calling. Number seven, Jesus is the faithful servant or the faithful minister of the Father for us. Remember the language, a bruised reed he will not break, and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. What a comfort that is, no matter how weak and trembling our faith may be, he's come to minister 
forgiveness and mercy and comfort and strength to us so that we are not overcome by the devil world and our flesh. That is the birthright and the heritage and the promise of the Lord in our baptism. And finally, number eight from the epistle, our baptism places us in Christ Jesus. To use Paul's words, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. So Todd, I think every way in which a Christian is sometimes tempted to despair, to anguish of heart because of his or her weaknesses and the daily struggle with sin from which we unfortunately so often succumb, our baptism and Christ's baptism taken together become a bulwark, a mighty fortress, a source of comfort. And not a source of comfort alone, but through the comfort of the promises of our baptism and that we are justified and declared righteous for Jesus' sake, we actually have the strength to live the Christian life in this earthly pilgrimage. And by God's grace, when and where he wills, he brings forth his good fruits in us. But Jesus Christ, who is the content and source of our baptism, is the fountain and source of that new life and of the fruits of faith. Pastor Peter Bender is pastor of Peace Lutheran Church in Sussex, Wisconsin, and director of the Concordia Catechetical Academy. Peter, thank you. Thank you, Todd. Thursday on Issues Etc., we'll discuss Lutherans and the late Pope Benedict with Matthew Block. We'll talk with Dr. Nancy Piercy about how parents can help their children reject transgender lies. And we'll continue our Marriage Enrichment Series with Pastor David Peterson. I'm Todd Wilkin. Thanks for listening. Listen weekday afternoons to Pastor Todd Wilkin and guests on Issues Etc. Issues Etc. is a listener-supported program. Your financial support is vital for the continuation and expansion of this worldwide outreach. Our mailing address, Issues Etc., P.O. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. You can also donate at our website, issuesetc.org. Issues Etc. is a production of LPR, Lutheran Public Radio. You're invited to a special life service Sunday afternoon at 3 on January 22nd at St. Paul Lutheran Church in Columbia, Illinois. Pastor Michael Salamink, Executive Director of Lutherans for Life, will be the guest preacher. What does Jesus have to do with life issues? Find out at a life service Sunday afternoon at 3, January 22nd at St. Paul Lutheran Church in Columbia, Illinois. Learn more at sidadvocatesforlife.com.